My name is Robert Schreiner, and I've just written a novel called The Wolves and the Greyhounds, and you're listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show, a behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and if you are new here, this is where we take a deep dive into the entertainment industry to provide you with valuable insights and entertaining stories. This week, we get to talk to a radio personality, voiceover artist, and an author. We get to talk with Gina Grad. We'll talk to her about how she got her start in the industry, what it was like to work on the Adam Carolla show, and we'll take a deep dive into her book, My Extra Mom. Let me tell you, my family and I got to read Gina's book together, and we found a lot of valuable lessons, not to mention the exercises at the back of the book. Those exercises are designed to initiate otherwise hard-to-start conversations with your children. It really is a must-read if you have children in your life. So if you'd like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now let's get started. Gina, my friend, how are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. It is my absolute pleasure, my friend. Of course. All right. Well, let's just dive in. How did you get your start in um, radio and television? Ooh. Okay. So I moved to LA in 2003 from New York by way of Kansas. And I was working in retail on the famous Rodeo Drive and realized I was horrible at it. And I'd, I'd make the sale. I'd, you know, hem their suits. They'd pay me. I'd get the commission. They'd come back a week later to pick up their suit. And I wouldn't know where the hell it was. I was horrible at it. <laughs> so that's where I learned, Gina, remember, customer service starts after the sale. Whoops. So my dad was, uh, and I'm going to talk him up because I'm just so indebted to him. And he passed last year. God, was it two years ago? It, last year. It, it's, you know what? It, Time means what to us these days, but it was just such a, a huge inspiration to me. He was in radio my entire life, and I thought that was just something that dads did. Sports, right? Sports, always. And um, so I called him up one day, and I said, is there any way you could pull some strings and get me an interview at the big talk station out here, KLSX, where Howard Stern was on, and then Adam Carolla took over, and I, you know, Tim Conway Jr. at night, and all the greats. So I got a job as a very glamorous weekend overnight call screener for the public access show. And it is a road paved with champagne and confi- no, it was horrible. <laughs> but we had fun. I, you know, kept my day job for a long time. And then eventually I got picked up to produce call screen and join in on air on the Tim Conway Jr. show, which was a blast and ridiculous and amazing. And that's where I started doing the news. However, it's Conway, who's incredibly sarcastic and the son of, you know, Tim Conway. So he would only let me do the news at night if I read the news like Robin Quivers from the Howard Stern show. So I had to start coming up with impressions quickly. So every night it was and then uh, 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 a big backup on the 405 tonight. (laughs) Howard, (laughs) he would make me do that every night until I finally begged him. Can I just do it as myself? But that's where I kind of got my sea legs. After that, I went into 
the prep world, which is basically services that cater to morning shows of every topic. So a, a morning shows can look it up and sort of rip and read whatever is prepared for them, you know, jokes, news stories, everything. I got to do um, my full time job was doing uh, celebrity impressions and fake jingles and, you know, commercials. And that was my job. That was my job. That's where I eventually met my husband. Your fake husband. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Um, then I got picked up for a big morning show out here, which was my dream. I clawed my way into that chair. And that lasted for about three years until that station as well flipped, meaning that they change formats and fire everybody and go to polka music or <laughs> you know whatever they end up doing. But I was lucky the same week I got that job, I also got the full-time job with Adam Carolla, and that lasted for eight years. Oh, my Lord. And then after the, the morning show flipped, I went on to anchor the news at another station. So it, I, I'm just kind of always in front of a mic, much to many people's chagrin. In the, the impressions, by the way, the spot on. That was awesome. Oh, thank you. So let me ask you, though, you had to have had some challenges going through that process. What kind of challenges were you faced with? Yeah, it was difficult. I definitely, I know I'm not the only one because uh, some old coworkers, you know, friends and I joke about this all the time. It's very easy when you're finding yourself and you're finding your voice, literally, to start subtly doing impressions of the host, which we didn't really realize. But I, you know, my friend Randy and I, we, we didn't realize we were doing Tim Conway Jr. impressions. And, you know, because we hadn't found our voice. And when I listen to those old tapes, my voice is so much higher. And it's not that I was so young, but that I hadn't found my, my, my real speaking voice, the voice that now is just kind of the way it is. But I kind of sounded like Minnie Mouse and it's not paper radio. You know, it's literally finding your point of view and it's literally finding your voice like in your vocal cords. Is that something they allowed you to adapt and you know grow into? Yeah, I've been really lucky with people like Conway and and Adam and I've just been lucky at Mark Thompson, who I was on the morning show with, especially Mark and Tim, because that's the way the show was structured, that they said, you're on this team, you better bring it. And that was not only saying you better be accountable to this show and see what you can add to it, but also we trust you. We picked you now go forth and shine. And that's a big responsibility, but it's a fun responsibility. Oh, it's got to be a blast. It is. And, and failing is horrible on the radio. It's uh, they say, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just like, Ooh, that didn't work. Oh God. He didn't laugh. Oh God. But, but that's how you learn. <laughs> so is that how you're developing that comedic sense of timing? Yes. I mean, I, again, I've had some great teachers, all very different personalities, but being on the air with Corolla every day for eight years, you know, he always encourages people to take improv. Being on the air with him every day is an improv clinic. So I, I'm asked all the time, and I guess it's a big compliment, how much heads up were you given before bits or before improv? And I go, heads up, <laughs> heads up. You've seen his prep, right? It's an empty piece of paper. There's nothing on it. So you just get real good at reading facial cues, <laughs> reading little ticks, reading a breath and knowing, oh, I think that's, I think it's my turn. Well, I love the fact on, on his show, particularly when you were doing the news, you could tell the chemistry between the two of you and you can tell the cues when, when he's ready to wrap it up. I mean, 
other than just saying bring it home. I mean, you could tell yeah. he's getting ready to wrap things up, and you seem to have that chemistry. Is that chemistry real? <laughs> That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. I would just say I think so in that – the other question everyone wants to know, and I think listeners who tune into him regularly know the answer, but what's the real Adam like? And I go, you hear the real Adam every day. That's that's Adam has one mode. It's not like the mics go hot and he's like, hey, guys. Right. I mean, that you just it's Adam is Adam is Adam. So whatever you heard on the air, that was the only connection we had. And this is a man who. Not only, you know, do I have a great amount of respect for, but he gave like the the toast at my wedding. My my father had passed away and Adam was a big part of my life. And he gave this beautiful, hilarious roast at my wedding. And it's just like this is a person that, you know, I, I deeply care for, even if we don't always agree on everything. Yeah, I can't imagine him being any differently off camera, off mic. I'll give you an example that just popped into my head. I'll never forget. We used to go on the road all the time. And this is when I was also doing the morning show at 430 in the morning. So I would get back, take, you know, a red eye Sunday and just take the car from LAX right to my seat. It was rough. But I'll never forget. We were doing a show, at, I think, in Vancouver. And I had been, you know, dieting and I'd been doing all this stuff. And Mike August, who always traveled with us, you know, his sort of partner in crime. Right before we went on, Adam said something like, August, notice you've been losing some weight. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yes, I've been working really hard. Yeah, thanks. He's like, no, I didn't notice. August noticed. <laughs> so doesn't that sound like something you'd hear with a, with the mics on? <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so that's the mode I'm talking about. <laughs> so when you're talking about going on the road, were you actually doing stand-up as well? No. We traveled, I mean, uh, everywhere, Canada, all over the United States. And I think the structure was usually... Brian and I in the green room, uh, Adam would go out, do 10, 15 minutes, bring us out. We would do the whole show, you know, the rest of the show together. And then sometimes he would dismiss us and then do his own stand up. Mike Dawson, who is the sort of the the, vo the gravelly Sam Elliott uh, voice of the show, he's been doing stand up for him. But I tried stand up when I first moved here and people don't get this man. And I don't blame them because they have no reason to. I'm very shy. Having a beautiful one-on-one -on -one conversation with you is great. Standing up and, you know, being the auctioneer at a gala, I have no interest in. So I that's not really where I shine, though I've been encouraged to try again. So we'll see. <laughs> I enjoy stand-up, and I've done it over the years, but not at any levels. You know, open mics here and there. I just enjoy doing it. But you enjoy it. See, yes. I I didn't enjoy it. I was scared the whole time. Were you going off the cuff? Were you writing in advance? Uh, at first, it was off the cuff. You know, it started because I was teaching at a college, and I would just get up and try to get my students' attention. That's great. So that's was the way I was trying to do it. And then eventually, I would start, you know, just my normal everyday world. And, you know, sorry, babe, if she's listening. But I abuse my wife. I const everything I say is some sort of complaint about the marriage or the this or the that. It's just uh, it's out of love, but you know. She's a saint. Yes, she is a saint. I've always wanted to do something like Toastmasters, and people are like, "You're crazy!" I'm like, "You don't understand." I've given wedding speeches that you could hear the saddest of pin drops. I'm not good at it. <laughs> 
I saw a thing online the other day. There was some video. A comedian gave a speech at a wedding. It was just it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. It was a girl giving a speech to her sister at the wedding. Oh, it was hilarious. There's nothing better than a good wedding speech. No, it was fun. It was. It just made it more, you know, more lively, more enjoyable than your typical. Yeah. Style. And I know I met her husband when I I'm like, right. okay, I'm starving. Can we wrap her up? But and again, I'm I'm lucky I had Adam Carolla roasting my husband and I for 15 minutes, which was uh I think everybody it, it, it was some much needed levity. Right. <laughs> you're you're working in a industry that is very challenging. I've worked in the entertainment industry for 30 plus years and on the music side of the world. And that's also very challenging. It's a challenging industry to get involved in, even to learn about. So you seem to have been able to work your way through it. Is there any advice that you can give to somebody who might not know how to do that? Oh, my God. That's that's such a hard question, and it shouldn't be. But I think we all get to where we're going in such a different way. And, I mean, it's just tenacity. I've clawed my way into every chair I've ever been in. And I never really had anyone in my corner, you know, no managers or publicists. It was just me and and my my unwillingness to give up. So I know it sounds cliche and everyone says it, but I think people say it because it's true. You just keep showing up. And I've said this so many times, you know, the floor mat flips or you get fired and that's very common in radio. And it's happened to me so many times. You think, you know what? I'm never doing this again. I, I, I'm going to go be, go into library science. I'm moving back to Kansas. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I would wake up the next day and I would totally forgot that I had quit and you just get right <laughs> back into the grind. Just go right back so, and that's the thing, you know, when people talk about podcasts and writing books and even radio in these days, remember, this is not the heyday of, you know, the mid 80s and all the, you know, all the glamour of radio. You don't go into this industry necessarily to get rich, but you do it because you have to talk and you're hoping someone out there wants to hear you. Well, let's talk about that for a second because you mentioned talking. In the voiceover work. You've been in some mm -hmm. movies that a lot of us are familiar with. How did you transition from radio into voiceover? <laughs> Actually, voiceover came first, and it was the same way. So when I moved to Los Angeles, there were still mailings. Every, every Saturday morning, I would go and get my Backstage West magazine, which was, you know, a, a arts and theater, you know, entertainment backstage in New York and backstage West out here. And you go to the back and you look at all the open calls and then you put your little voiceover CD with a little resume that you, you know, glue sticked to your uh, headshot. And you put that in a thing and you go and you walk it down to the post office and you cold mail these submissions. That's how I got Street Fighter. That's how I got pretty much all of my anime series. And again, like I just I didn't have anyone representing me. I just got lucky. Hopefully they heard something they liked. And I've I've been working with them for almost two decades. Now, if that came first, again, I have to go back to that comedic timing that you developed working in the morning shows. How were you able to to jump into that role without having that experience? Great question. I'm lucky in the sense that I grew up in a, with a pretty funny family. 
being funny was like pretty important to everybody. So that was something that we all kind of gravitated toward and, and worked on. And, you know, comedy was kind of our love language until the day my dad died. We were we were communicating solely through Simpsons lines. So that's just kind of how our family structure was set up. And when other people were listening to music, music is great. I have a lot of favorite songs. I listen to stand up. So, you know, I'm getting ready and I want to get pumped. I'm not listening to like, uh, you know, the final countdown. I'm listening to like John Mulaney or Patton Oswalt or, you know, whoever. So I always say Comedy Central and the Ha Network raised us when we didn't have babysitters. So all this stand up and these jokes and this, you know, set up punchline, set up punchline was instilled in me in a very young age. I'd say a lot of other little girls were drooling over Joey Lawrence. I was like, but have you guys heard of Dennis Miller? <laughs> so I was kind of an early adapter to that world. And that helped a lot. Just just knowing what I gravitated towards and knowing. I mean, I, it sounds so cliche and stupid, but frankly, that I could hang with the boys. You know, it's it's a very male dominated field, radio, comedy, and my particular sense of humor fit well in that landscape. So there was definitely room to grow within those borders. Were there any challenges there for you? Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, and, you know, this still resonates today in that you're you're a token so I'll never forget how many times I've been told, oh, they already filled the female slot for that show. Oh, they have their female. They're female? Right. Oh, yeah, because they have a male producer and a male host and and co-host and sports update guy and news guy, and they have their girl. And it's so disheartening and it's so insulting because radio felt a few steps behind like the times and not only did they have their girl when i was getting into the field though that's changed a little bit the girl had a very particular assignment it was be young present yourself as though you're going out every night you're the ditzy party girl you laugh on cue you tell the host oh you are bad oh you are so bad make them feel edgy no matter if they have an edge or not. And so while the hosts get to be these kind of older, grizzled guys that have already been there and done that and have their families now, they need you to be the token party girl. And that's never been my thing. So I've lost out on on some opportunities because I just I never fit that mold. And I'm very grateful to the men who took me onto their shows who wanted me to be myself. Well, that's that's a good thing, right? I mean, yeah, I, I see that. Another thing, challenge. I know you you mentioned the giggles and stuff, and I I hear that a lot when <laughs> they're talking about that. But I also <laughs> notice, you know, you started in news. Did you find that you were being forced to do news versus be a co-host? Savvy, you are really good. Um, again, no one's ever asked me that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, it's a great role because, you know, it it takes a lot of work. News is very trial by fire, and it's helped me immensely having that skill. I use it literally to this day. But, yeah, it's not just to kind of come on and steer the ship. It's to feature your thing. What is your thing? You do the news, great. Do it and get out. And that's that's how I treated the Corolla show at first because I was so – trepidatious for lack of a better word. I was just kind of happy to be there, nervous, not knowing my place, not knowing when to jump in. And by, you know, however many years in, I'm 
throwing verbal elbows, you know, jumping all over these guys. And that just takes getting comfortable because, yeah, you you need to know where you fit in. And, and, and news news is that place for so many of us. Well, on that show, it was your job to do the news, but you didn't just do the news. You opinionated the news. And like mm. you said, you were throwing punches in the news. So, yeah. I mean, I appreciated that. So I don't think that Thank you just you. took that role and said, well, I'll just do what I'm told. You took that role and said, screw you. I'm going to do what I want. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that was, I had to really put myself in a box because I was literally doing that show where it's just opinion and jokes and yeah, but I think this and yeah. And, and then going right to a real news station where you better leave your opinion out of it and you just the facts, ma'am. So I would really have to leave that part of my brain behind because that's that's very important. But yeah, I was at, you know, I at first I just wanted to do my job and then I realized my job can have a lot more color and I, I embraced that. Well, I don't think that's the reason why people are going to the Adam Carolla show or to the morning shows. They're not going there for the Fox or CNN style news. They're going there right. to be informed, but entertained <laughs> at the same time. I'm so glad you said that because I just started saying the other day, I said it to my husband, I'm not just an informer. I'm a performer. I can't just inform. It's not why I'm on this earth. <laughs> no. And it's a good thing, too. Thank you. I also noticed you have a social media presence. And mm. that's something you mentioned, the times of the 80s. And, you know, that's the era that I grew up in. So I, I can completely understand it. But there was no social media. There is now. No. So how do you feel social media is playing into your career these days? That's a really uh, that's a really good question, because I, for one, am so grateful that I am not a kid now. And I don't mean to sound like two Clint Eastwood get off my lawn, but for all the problems and, you know, when you think about like kids being bullied or kids having a hard day or whatever, when they come home, they leave all that behind. Not anymore. Now that stuff follows you home on your phone. And I just think it, it's it's like, when do kids get a break from the inundation of other people's opinions? So that that sucks. I think that's probably really hard. And for my little stepson, I worry about that for the future. That being said, podcasting is a revolution. And it's, you know, it's clearly the next wave in how we communicate. You know, we have radio, we have TV. Now we have the internet. What year is this? Now we have the internet. <laughs> but we have the internet. And, you know, when I started podcasting in 2010, maybe even 2009, I couldn't get a radio salesperson on the phone. Like, what are you talking about? What's a, you know, as, as Adam says, what's a pod cart? So now, like, look at the freedom we have. Look at, you know, and we we can say anything we want. We can monetize it. And for us, that's a blessing. You mentioned being bullied and what the internet's doing to people. I have three three daughters. Um, oh, boy. Yes, this late in life, I should be having grandkids. My wife is making me have kids. <laughs> However, I have uh, one that turns 13 this month, one that turns oh one this month, and <gasps> one that's eight. So oh I, I have God. the one, the eight, and the 13. <laughs> You're back in the mailroom, as they say. Yes, I'm absolutely <laughs> back in the mailroom. My <laughs> wife won't let me retire. So. But I noticed that, especially with the 13-year-old, she's in junior high school, and she's about halfway through junior high school. Mm. And the challenges the kids are faced with these days that I was never faced with. I mean, we were faced with stupid things. You'd get in a fight in the hallway, or right. you're worried about what's going to happen on the playground. Right. 
No, they're going through some serious challenges and the the conversations that they're having, you know, you should kill yourself or, oh, you know, those type of conversations that that really hits a, a young kid and they don't understand that, oh, this is just some other 12-year-old on the playground. No, th- these are comments that are sticking with people. So oh my God. I know we're talking about difference between junior high school and someone at your stage of your career. Do you find that you're facing those type of challenges online? Are people making comments? I find that I did face those challenges. And as a full grown adult who's already been to therapy and has already sort of experienced the world, that's one thing. But as a a, a raw nerved child, I just my heart breaks to think about them having to deal with stuff that adults can't deal with. When I first started out in radio and then, you know, everybody kind of hates the new guy. So I was naive enough to think that in every one of these jobs I've ever taken, I'm here. I clawed my way to get here. I'm going to be embraced. This is the good life. It's all on the elevator up. (laughs) And that's not the case. You know, I'm an appreciator and a viewer and a critic of all kinds of things. But I also happen to be on the inside and, you know, some of, of a small little part of, you know, the world. And, you know, you're there, you're doing your job, you're ready for all the accolades and you look at your phone and exactly somebody's saying, you know, you're not funny, go kill yourself. You're thinking, but, but how I'm being punished for, for accepting the job that I was offered. Right. Like, why am I in trouble? So at first it was very jarring and very dysregulating and, and very scary and and anxiety inducing all of those things but after doing it for so many years it just doesn't have the the punch that it used to it doesn't really feel like anything because i get it and i get who's behind the keyboard and i get the whole vibe that comes with experience absolutely it's that evolution that has kept me sane at the beginning did it make you want to quit every day i was so it's weird. I don't know if everyone's like this or if this was unique to me. I'm not sure. Maybe you could weigh in. But, you know, it wasn't just it didn't just hurt my feelings. It was kind of a one two punch. I felt so much shame that not only, you know, are they is some person saying this to me, but the people who love me and care about me are going to see it. Like, that's the thing that really kills me. I'm going to have to explain to my biggest fans, you know, my family or my best friends. No, no, no. I'm okay. This person doesn't mean it and have to play this balancing act. Well, they're worried about me. And I'm just like, I just I just want to do my job. So these days, again, it's much easier to explain. But just that mix of like hurt feelings and embarrassment that I have to explain this to the people in my life who are really cheering for me and have seen how hard I've worked. These days we're all kind of in on the joke, but it was it was really scary starting out and not knowing how to navigate this this hate that comes from no, nothing. <laughs> I'm not I'm not, you know, planting my flag in like a a clan rally. <laughs> I'm just making a couple of jokes. <laughs> Did you get any mentorship from Adam through this process? Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he's much more divisive or as he would say, divisive than I ever could be. But yeah, he he is the king of not taking things personally. So and as I said, I've always had for just circumstantially, whether they just weren't there. I didn't see any. I just always had male role models. Uh, That was the industry I was in. Very few women to really, you know, follow their career and sort of do what they're doing and mirror what they're doing. But yeah, the men 
that I've sort of saddled as my mentor is don't really suffer fools. So it's very good to emulate their behavior. It kind of keeps you on the straight and narrow in terms of like not losing your shit on people. (laughs) My wife and I are always talking about that. It's like we raise the kids to be leaders, not followers. And we raise the kids to have a mind of their own and think on their own. When we think that's happening, then one will come home from school and they'll be down. And when we ask why, oh, Susie Q said this, or, you know, Johnny did this. And it's like, really? And then we have to work, work through that problem. So no matter how much you think you're doing and you're getting it right, there's always going to be a challenge around the corner. Absolutely. And I love that you said that because what my mother-in-law says, and she's a teacher, is are you going to be a bystander or an upstander? And she says that to my stepson all the time. And I love that. You know, you that's that's another thing. You, you know, there's always room to stick up for other people. And, you know, don't you love like, you know, the cliche of the super, super popular guy in school who's literally friends with everyone and like helps the underdog and, you know, plays football. And I just think that's the person that we all need to be is the one that is so above (laughs) all of the drama that you can be friends with everyone. And that's what makes you look, you know, when people go, oh, they just lit up a room when they walked in. That's why. I made my daughter watch Grease with me last night. Yes! So so over the top. I I didn't remember being so over the top. And some of the conversations that came out of watching that movie, and I'm just, I mean, turning 13 years old, the insight she had from watching that movie was fabulous. It was was awesome. Does she want to be a pink lady now? No, no. She thought everybody in the movie, she said, this is ridiculous. He goes, nobody talks like this. Everyone in that movie was, you know, 35 playing right. a 16 year old. That, well, she noticed that. She's like, so great. She goes, she's so much older than he is. I'm like, how do you, <laughs> how do you even notice that? <laughs> Dad, who's stalker Channing? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't want to leave without talking about your book. And I want, I'd like to take a pretty deep look into your book here. It's, Please. it's a children's book. And I had the opportunity to read it with my family. There it is. Oh, how awesome. I'm holding it up. You are. Here, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do it like this? Oh, even better. (laughs) That way we don't have to cover your face. That's so so awesome that you have it and that you've looked at it. And I'd love your thoughts. I'd love to hear it. Oh, um, we read the book together. And we sat there and it doesn't apply directly to our family. Um, However, we got a lot of lessons out of it in the thing that I enjoyed the most is the end of your book is broken into what I call exercises, but yes. it, it gives you questions and things to talk about and answer with each other. So whose idea was it to put that at the end of the book? All me, baby. The whole book came from the things that we literally do in this house uh, that I do with my stepson, everything, every. I, I was going to add them, but it just didn't work with the aesthetic. But every picture in this book has an actual real life picture that my illustrator worked off of. So this is like very, very personal. And sitting at the dinner table and nobody knows this better than a dad of three girls. You know, what'd you do today? I don't know. How was school? I forgot. I mean, it's just grueling. So instead, wouldn't you rather debate your children on what would be better hands where your feet are or feet where your hands are? And these are the kind of things that gets kids brains, brain juices flowing. Eight year old for sure. (laughs) And it's just, it gives them some 
you know, kind of control over the conversation and it's fun. And that's what we do here. We make up these silly games and challenges. And at the end, you know, when everyone's nice and like relaxed, I certainly wouldn't put it at the front. Uh, I have the go deeper questions that I think are important for everyone, but like it's particularly important. I mean, I'm biased, but like for our step family going like, what do you wish your stepmom knew about you? And what makes you really mad? And what do you do when you're mad? And what do you, you know, and these, these questions that really break down the walls quicker, I think, than just waiting for the perfect opportunity, which, you know, perfect opportunities never come. No, they definitely do not come. Yeah. Now, you're a stepmom. Mm-hmm. So the challenges you're faced with just, I mean, parenthood in general is challenging, but being a stepmom has got to be, in my opinion, more challenging. <laughs> so at what age were you brought into your son's life? He was he was about two and a half. Okay, so it was really early. Yeah, he was a teenager, and he <laughs> was uh, uh, spirited. So I was, you know, I I'm kind of afraid of kids. You and me both. I get it. Any any middle school teacher, I'm like, what are you doing? They're so mean. How, what? Don't don't go in there. And so I'm afraid because kids are honest. You know, little kids don't know what nuance is. They'll just tell you you're ugly. Or they'll tell you your joke isn't funny. And that's really scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when I, I'll never forget the day that we had the furniture movers moving stuff into the house. And he's sitting outside in his little stroller and looking at everything. And then he saw my stuff come in. And he looked at me, just tried to put it together. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so scared that he's going to say, like, you know, I don't want you to live with us. Or what are you doing here? I was scared and that didn't happen, but like it was scary. So I looked for books like the one I wrote and I couldn't find one. So I wrote it. That's how it typically works, right? You look for something that you want and when you can't find it, you create it, which is fantastic. So what was, what was that process like? I felt, you know, I, this, this might seem kind of, I don't know, cliche to say this. I don't have another way to say it. I felt very called to write it. It just, it it had been in me for a while and it was finally time to just get it done. So I just would start making notes like, what does it mean to have an extra parent? What is the extra benefit? And that's the whole point of the book. That's why it's called My Extra Mom. What is good about being extra? And so I just started writing things down and I had, you know, a list of a hundred things and I'd have to call the list and call the list and, and, you know, cause it only came down to, you know, maybe a dozen examples and just refining them and, and figuring out which ones were the most universally understood, which ones were the most important. And it was a process. And then once we nailed that down, my illustrator got to work and because they're all hand drawn, I mean, it took forever and ever to get this done and I don't blame her. I'll just, you know, I'll just hold up a picture if you'd like to see. I mean, her stuff is very like, oh, there we go. Very like (laughs) throwback, mid-century retro. And I just love that. Like one of my favorite pictures is me having him on my uh, shoulders at the zoo. And I have that picture. It just came up on Facebook the other day of, you know, these are all, this is how we roll in our house. And something that most people don't notice. So I like to point it out. I think it's kind of fun. At the very beginning, you probably noticed the introduction was a note to the grown-ups. Yes. Do you happen to remember, and it's okay if you don't, did you notice the font was kind of hard to read? Yes. Matter of fact, my, okay. you know what? Because I took it on the, the Kindle and we blew it up. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad. You know what? That was my point. Because I made it specifically a little hard to read so that kids, because this is a book for little ones, who are learning to read, don't 
look at it. It's not for them. So I made it an italicist and it looks a little cursive because this is for like, hey, between you and me, the adults, this is why I did this. Now give it to the kid and show them the pictures and I hope they love it. <laughs> so I really did. I, I did my best to sort of sneakily talk to everybody in this book because that's the conversation I would want to have. I'd want to have a side conversation with the parents and I'd want to have a really fun, gentle, welcoming conversation with the kid. No, it was it was perfect. I loved the way it was put together. And you talk about Thank the illustrations, you. which were also great. Did you pick out the illustrator? She picked out me. She's one of my best friends. <laughs> Lindsay Parker is uh, an artist, and she's a big muckety-muck art director at a very fancy school here in L.A. And um, she's also an author and an illustrator. And so she said, I'm in. I was like, I didn't ask you anything. She goes, I don't care. So she's one of my best friends and we got to do it together, which was awesome. And there's going to be more and we're excited about that. So it's going to be a series. Yes. That's fantastic. And people ask, you know, well, what about foster kids and what about dads? And I go, yes, yes to all of it. All of it. But can I just, can I just put my story out first? Can we just hold on? I, I needed to get the thing that I know best out. And then there's plenty of room for everyone. And in fact, I said, because my, one of my best friends is a foster to adopt parent. And I said, you know, there's some really great books for kids on that. There ain't any books on stepmoms. And if they are, they're about not letting them go to the ball and losing a shoe and getting a glass slipper. And they're about banishing them from the kingdom and locking them in towers. And they grow their hair super long. So they can escape. Exactly. There's not a lot of stories about stepmoms that put us in a light that isn't quote unquote evil or wicked. And I'm hoping to change that a little bit. I, I mean, we're just, you know, the cross section of humanity is, I think, decent. And we're just normal people who want to, you know, add to a family already in progress. Nobody's trying to hurt anybody. <laughs> You mentioned your story. What was your family dynamic like growing up? Uh, my parents were divorced when I was the awesome age of like 12, where everything's great. I'm hot. I know myself really well. I don't have buck teeth. Um, yeah, it was a really tough time to deal with something like that. And my parents ended up being best friends. I mean, when my mom would come to L.A., she'd stay at my dad's house there. You know, like we're, we became one big happy family much later after they had separated for years. So that's the key. I should get divorced. Yeah. And wait anyway. and then just play the waiting game. There you go. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a bit of a tumultuous growing up period for, you know, we had our fun, but we had our tough times. And from what I remember, I don't know if you're an 80s, 90s baby, but this stuff was not talked about. No, we're going to go with 80s and 90s for you. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> this was this was a very taboo subject. I remember saying to my mom when my parents got divorced, what am I going to tell people? And she's like, I don't know. Tell him he's on a work trip. I mean, you did not discuss this. It was very shameful, at least in the Midwest. But I can imagine it was probably, you know, we all felt that now. All bets are off. Everybody's great. And I'm jealous. It's what a wonderful time in that sense to grow up. You know, ADD testing, I had to be locked in a room for two days. Now you can take a quiz on an app. Oh, yeah. No, it's, part it's of a different school. world. It's a different, it's a different world. And I think in many ways for the better that it's just, you know, like adoption and divorce and all these different ways to put a family together are not taboo subjects. They're just they're just, it just is. They're just different dynamics of families. And not only can we talk about them, but I hope we can celebrate 
my family's family dynamic. We we try our best and there's a lot of love here. And it just it it just came about in a little different way. So how old is your son now? Almost eight. I would say seven, but he's very adamant that I tell you he's seven and three quarters. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And eight's my yeah. favorite number, so that's perfect. Oh, good. So how's the relationship now? It's good. He's such a good kid. You know, he's I, I don't have any other experience because he's he's my only little guy in the house. But nope, I'm good. I'm all full up. I've Thank got you. Twenty bucks, they're yours. I <laughs> say so you got three to spare. Um yeah, he's enough. He's a handful. He's a mazik, as my my Jewish people say. It's good. He's a great kid. We have a, a great dynamic. Again, when we started this, it was bumpy. I mean, we were t- dealing with a toddler. None of us knew what we were doing or what we were supposed to be doing. I didn't know if I was supposed to be taking the lead role and giving my husband a break or stepping back. And I made I feel like I made every possible mistake I could make. I snapped at him or I said something the wrong way or I encouraged something that I wasn't supposed to encourage. I mean, I when they say it doesn't come with a manual, that does not come with a manual. No. So I made all the mistakes and, and we continue to make them. But overall, like I said, this house is, I'm happy to say that my house had some tumult, but overall, it was a family built on a sense of humor and love. And this house is not perfect, but it's it feels pretty close. It's a lot of joking, a lot of laughing. I think that my husband and I are modeling a really nice relationship for this little guy to come home to. And, uh, you know, I think we're doing our best and our best is like working. So does your husband face any challenges with all this? Sure. I mean, you know, he's still, you know, we, my stepson has a mother and so we have shared custody and, you know, there's just things to navigate with that. And then we're dealing with like a sassy spirited child. I mean, it's not perfect. This is a kid who like he, he could jump into a Super Mario Brothers game and make, make his way out (laughs) just fine fighting Bowser and, and, and winning Princess Peach. No problem. Does he find himself being a referee? I guess is more of what I'm asking. No. And I'll tell you why. I mean, maybe he might answer that differently because he's very smooth at what he does. But we agreed early on and we don't have a hundred percent record at this, but we agreed early on that we would always present a united front. You know, that would give me credibility. That would give him someone who's backing him up. So even if we may disagree with each other, this child will never play one of us off of the other. So in that respect, we started that early and often. And I'd like to think that made a really big difference. Now, will one of us try and curry favor with a child sometime and be like, come here, I'll, I'll give you the candy. Just right. Of course. <laughs> but when it comes to the stuff that really matters, I imagine I would think perhaps you and your wife have something similar. So they're oh, not yeah. always trying to play you guys off of each other. No, the kids know better. Exactly. They know who to go to to ask for what they want, but they know <laughs> that we're on the same page. Exactly. And you don't seem like a dad I would... Um, I don't seem like a dad. (laughs) Full stop. That I would spend a lot of my time challenging. I feel like what you say probably goes most of the time. Uh, It's more of what the wife says. (laughs) I mean, even for me, I'm scared of her too. (laughs) But no, I mean, I think the wife and I are very similar in personalities as well. I mean, we're very similar and we have our rules and the things that we want, but our kids are... So far, I can't complain. I mean, cannot complain. The one-year-old, she still doesn't know much yet. (laughs) The others, 
Very does good. the eight-year-old really look up to the 13-year-old? She does. Is that her idol? the eight-year-old is, oh, talk about two totally different personalities. <laughs> she is a spitfire like nobody's business. She's the one coming up to me every day with a new joke or a new trick or this or that. I mean, and you can tell her, hey, stop or be quiet or let's try and do this. And there's no telling her what to do. She'll just do whatever oh. she wants. And that's it. Yeah, it's have fun done. with that. Does she grind you? Oh, the eight-year-old. But, like, but what about, oh, no, but wait, but I want, push. of course. Yeah. And then you have a more, for lack of a better word, obedient 12-year-old. She is fantastic as well. Aww. She's great. Uh, she's got her own set of challenges. I mean, going through middle school, she's got challenges she has to deal with. So, But they're both very good. They're both in activities. The 12-year-old is into cheerleading, and she she's part of the drama club, but she's not part of drama. She actually does the makeup. She, Oh, ever since nice. she was real little, she did all the scary makeup and stuff. So they Love they took that. her into that program much earlier than they would normally take somebody. So that was exciting. That is cool. And then the eight year old is our dancing queen. She all different types of dance, but <laughs> hip hop primarily, and she's just fun. Every day we get to sit down for a new routine. Oh, my God. Don't you love that? I mean, we get that, too. After the shower, before bed, he always puts on a show for us. Yeah. And that's like the highlight of his day. Yep. And she'll say, oh, it's just, I just got to show you this one, one, yes! one r- routine, this one move. And then yeah, it's great. One time. And so then it's next, she's yelling to the lady in the tube, play this song. And, and then, and then as soon as it's over, all right, now play it. It's like, wait, what do you mean play another one? She's like, there's four sets to this. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Can I give you a little trick? that may help you that I don't know where I came up with it, but it made a big difference. Now it may work for you. It may not. We have the same problem. The it's bedtime. No, 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 no. Just one more, one more. What I came up with is to make it a big deal. Okay. It's time for the big finish. (laughs) Wrap it up. 10 seconds. You got the big finish right now. 10 seconds for the big finish. And then they put all their energy and then they just wipe themselves out. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. We're approaching the end, but I don't want to let you go without asking you a question. We do this thing called Unsung Heroes. And I'd like to know, do you have anybody in your life that works behind the scenes that you owe a little bit of credit to and we'd like to shine a spotlight on? My husband. It might sound obvious, but it's it's something I am very unfamiliar with. I am not, this is, you know, this is my first time being married. As my dad used to always say, Gina doesn't do anything until she's ready and she'll prove it. So I've never had a partner that I was in it for the long haul with, but also that really like felt invested in what I do. I There was always, a in every long-term relationship I've had, and I've had a lot of them, always friction or always something that I was sort of keeping to myself and sort of something that I was trying to protect, a project or a thought. And with this guy, not only is is he my biggest cheerleader, but like, I don't feel like, well, he wouldn't understand this and I don't want it to feel ruined or less than, or I don't want him to sort of degrade or make fun of what I'm doing. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. This is a person that is there for me, that is open and excited and always tells me how proud of me he is, which, you know, a lot of us do not have. And we just had a shipment on the table. I go, what is it? He goes, don't open it. And he took it and he opened it. And it was my book. I could have given him one. I have one in the other room. But he's like, no, no, no. I wanted to buy it like everybody else. I mean, 
that is not something I've ever experienced. And I'm just, I'm lucky that he allowed me to parent the way that I have and and have the relationship I have with my stepson and then be my cheerleader, which again, might seem obvious to some people, but it was not obvious to me. That is awesome. I love it. Miss Gina, my friend, I cannot thank you enough for joining me tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Do you have any final words you'd like to leave us with? Yes, thank you. The book will be available at major retailers soon enough, but right now, as you can see, uh, on Amazon, and it's hardcover, paperback, and Kindle. And if you buy it, I would really appreciate a nice review because I'm a one-woman show. And frankly, if you support the idea of this uh, project, I would appreciate a nice review because I'm a one-woman show. So (laughs) thank you very much, and it was an honor to have this conversation. And now that was awesome. I loved hearing about Gina's start in broadcasting and the challenges she had to overcome along the way. I know we say it's funny, but it's really not that funny. And the fact that she was able to overcome them, she really is quite an inspiration. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and help me give a big thanks to Gina for joining us this week and sharing her stories. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can do just that and find the links to everything mentioned in this episode, including an uncut and uncensored live recording over at jfranzi.com slash episode four. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.